Welcome to Super Entrepreneurs Podcast. Today we have with us Dominique Sebastian. How are you, Dominique? Really good. Thank you. You can call me DS. It's going to be much easier. <laughs> no problem. I love the name Dominique, but okay, DS is good. How are you? Really good. Thank you. Um, yeah. Bright and early this morning. So it's all good. That's good. That's good. And I wanted to thank you, you know, to come on the show. I know you're under the radar and I, I appreciate you taking the time to, to be on the show. I'm going to let you kind of introduce and get into what you do, how you started your story, please. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, I've been building tech platform as well as commercializing it uh, for the last uh, 25, 26 years. So it's a little bit of a giveaway on my age. Uh, built my first e-commerce site in 1996 for a large computer reseller. Uh, we're addressing an issue which was, you know, we had 6,000 reps on the phone and uh, trying to uh, get the repeat purchase as well as tracking automatically in 1996. Uh, that was really early. And then uh, worked for a Swiss company uh, building a natural speech search engine when Google was launching. Uh, we sold that company and then uh, decided to do my first venture, uh, which was building uh, video games. Um, realized that video game was really expensive to build. So me and my partner decided to, uh, to address an issue, which was collecting data for advertiser. And uh, we launched the first advert gaming company in North America. Did pretty well till uh, 2001 uh, when the... Uh, the accident happened in uh, New York City. Um, did my first mistake in business, which was uh, not covering my um, fixed costs through uh, cancellation fees on my agreement. People I was doing business with have sadly passed away in the accident. So uh, I lost a lot of money, but uh, had a great lesson that you don't do a deal uh, if you're not covering your fixed costs. Um, and you cannot uh, anticipate uh, what will happen. Mm -hmm. And uh, ended up in Toronto, uh, became uh, um, an editor for MSN when MSN was oh. the uh, king of the world at that yes, time. Yes, at uh, that time. <laughs> in 2002, uh, MSN was, was ruling the world. Uh, we had 8.5 million unique visitors a day wow. in Canada, and we were independent and stayed there till they merged with uh, Simpatico. And then I saw an opportunity, something launched called iTunes, uh, which was music downloads. Uh, everybody was trying to figure out how to make money with music download. In Toronto, there's a company uh, called Pure Tracks, which was actually owned by Universal Music that has mm -hmm. just launched. And uh, I went over there and uh, we addressed the issue, uh, starting to sell that music download with a uh, consumer goods product. Mm -hmm. And uh, which that went pretty well. And then uh, went to Quebecorps to become a VP digital at Quebecorps and manage all their product portfolio. Mm -hmm. Then went to Transcontinental to manage all the product portfolio, the digital product portfolio as a VP too. And uh, end up uh, with Edelman, a large PR company, trying to build uh, innovation uh, for the PR news. And at that time, I was also the chairman of the IEB Canada, which was the Internet Advertising Bureau. Uh, and we were setting the new rules on real-time bidding advertising. So that was really fun. Um, and six years ago, I decided to leave the corporate world and uh, go back to startup. So uh, one of my friends, uh, Dan Robichaud, was uh, launching a startup called Password Box, which was a password manager. 
cool product and no business plan, no budget, uh, not a clear roadmap uh, on growth. And I helped them a little bit. Uh, that company ended up selling to Intel for a significant amount of money. Uh, and I thought, you know, it's fun. Uh, it's, it's clear that startups have some needs yes. and don't have all the resources at an early stage. So I did another one called New Media, mm-hmm. uh, which was in the digital advertising space uh, software. So I uh, sold it uh, to, uh, the company was sold to uh, Stingray. Yes. And then helped another company called Tractic and then realized that mm-hmm. I didn't add all the skill sets. So I needed some partners to expand the skill sets that the startup needed. So uh, we started a consulting firm called TG Consulting, which is Tech World Consulting. Really, today we help startups pass from a $3 million valuation to a $30, $50 million valuation in 24, 36 months. That's what we do every day. I started to see a lot of good opportunities, so I started to invest uh, money myself through uh, a private fund called uh, TG Ventures. So uh, that's really what we're doing. We're specialized in tech startups, and specialized in taking startups from 2 million to 50 million in a, in a 36 months time frame. And uh, right now we're helping about 24 tech startups. 24. Uh, and that's, that's what got my attention as well, is that point is that you help startups. Like my, my whole mission is to help entrepreneurs and that you, we are aligned on those missions because really when you do a startup and you just feel so overwhelmed, you're not sure what to do, how to do it. Right. And your abilities and your formation of the crew that you created gives that, that freedom gives that way to provide that success for a startup. But do you feel that the idea has to be good? Like, do you, do you kind of do, what do you do with a startup? Do you analyze it first to see if it's something that you work on? Yeah, I refuse about 95% of the startup that come in the office. What do you Uh, review? uh, Yeah, so yeah, we don't take a startup here for the money. Like we take a startup because we believe in their success. Idea. Mm -hmm. And their idea. So the first thing, the most important thing is that we have to get along. Uh, you know, yes. you don't do business with, with anybody. You get along. Yes, so you know, true. It, it, my, my grandfather used to say, business is like a fart. If you force it, it's usually shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that is hilarious. That's awesome. Oh my God, I love that. But that's that's exactly, you know, my process, how we met, right? Like how we go yeah. outreach. We, we have a 15-minute call. We kind of understand each other. A lot of people don't, uh, some people, not a lot, actually a lot understand, but some don't understand why am I taking that extra step? But if I don't, if I don't get along, if I does it's not a good fit, how are we going to do an interview that will be quality? Like everything is based on relationships, everything like there's, there's, I don't even believe in sales. I don't even believe in all that. I believe in relationship and helping someone that's a transaction, right? Yeah. 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 And you know, there's a lot of trust that, yeah. You know, if you, if I don't trust you, if you don't trust me, yes. there's no way we're going to be able to build something Never. together mm-hmm. because we're going to doubt, you know, even if you work with each other, right. Yeah. You can. Yeah. Trust is fundamental. Fundamental. And, I agree. And, and, and let's be honest, building a startup involves a lot of risk yes. and you're going to doubt yourself. So yes. if not, if trust is not there and fundamental in your relationship, 
uh, it won't go anywhere. Mm. Uh, rapidly, it will go sour. Mm. Um, the second most important thing is, uh, you know, are you addressing a real issue? Uh, mm-hmm. Is your startup addressing a real issue and a real consumer issue? Like I've seen so many times startups believing that they have a great idea, but they're they're addressing a business issue. They're not addressing a consumer issue. Uh, you know, media corporation have done it. I've done that mistake over and over, trying to launch product that were addressing their business issue and not thinking about is my product addressing the end consumer mm-hmm. issue. So are you addressing a real issue? And is the potential market big enough to make money uh, out of that issue? So that's the second fundamental. Third fundamental is I want to understand, are you looking to have a lifestyle business or an exit business? Ah. So, you know, it's, and both are valid but it's not the same strategy. If you're looking to have a lifestyle business, it's great, but we won't grow at the same and you, speed. Can you, can you give examples of both if, in case anybody doesn't understand uh, yeah. the difference? A lifestyle business is that I'm in business to run my company for the next 10 to 15 years. And the way that the main way that, you know, I'm projecting to make money is to generate significant uh, benefits. So generate, generate significant revenue, generate significant benefits uh, from those revenue, uh, so profit. And from that profit, I will pay back, you know, uh, dividends to my mm-hmm. investors or to myself. That's a lifestyle business. Mm-hmm. Uh, an exit business is I don't care as much about the profit for the next five years. I want to grow it as big as possible to be attractive for an, uh, a potential buyer. Buyer, got it. Mm-hmm. Both strategies are valid. One is more risky than the other, but the strategy to get there and the strategy that you're going to take in growing your business is going to be extremely different from one scenario to the other. Mm-hmm. The type of investor you're going to be looking for are also going to be very different. If you're looking at to grow a lifestyle business, most likely you're not going to go after VC money because VC, the way that VC works, they work on an eight years time frame. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if people or you already explained on your show how VC works, but a VC raise money mm-hmm. on a specific fund mm-hmm. for a lifetime of eight years. So mm-hmm. they, they get the money committed from their LP, limited partners for eight years, usually sometimes mm-hmm. then, but most likely mm-hmm. eight years. Mm-hmm. They will commit that money in the first three years. This is for lifestyle, right? No, this is for VC. So if you're going after VC, you have to understand how VC works. A VC is going to want to exit within eight years. So Mm -hmm. if you're, if you want a lifestyle business, don't go after VCs because they're going to put wrong pressure on you Mm -hmm. because they need to exit within eight Mm -hmm. years time frame. So, so unnecessary pressure. No, and unnecessary pressure. So do we get along? Are you addressing your real issue? And are you looking for a lifestyle or an exit business? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's first clear. Questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I need to understand what are your tangible assets? You know, what, what, what do you have? A company is value on four elements, four pillars. You know, there, there's six or seven ways to value a company, but really the value of the company is based on four pillars. First, 
replacement value of your assets, of your product. So how much effort and how much money would it take me to build exactly what you built so far? So that's called the replacement value. The second is the team. The team at different level. So mm-hmm. your board of director, they're, they're going to be worth something in your company. I always take the example. If I have Mark Zuckerberg as the chairman of my company, I can do nothing in my company. It's going to be worth $50 million because Mark Zuckerberg is the chairman of my company. So your board can create a lot of value. Can you explain the, that more? Can you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Invest. A, a board of directors is there to, for three reasons. Mm-hmm. Give you credibility, give you transparency on the governance of the company, mm-hmm. and help you raise money and do mm-hmm. strategic deals. Mm-hmm. So if Mark Zuckerberg is the chairman of my board, mm-hmm. I will gain instant credibility, insane mm-hmm. network yes. of potential investors. Mm-hmm. So without even a product, my company is going to be worth 50 Yes. Years. Mm-hmm. That's true. So your board can create a lot of value at the mm-hmm. early stage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your management team is going to create value. And the amount of engineers you have on your team, in my case, for tech companies. If you're raising in the U.S. right now, some company will raise purely on the number of headcounts of engineers. And right now, they will raise about 1.5 million U.S. per engineer. So some companies are, are raising purely on the number of engineers. So what if a startup doesn't have engineers and they're just outsourcing? It will affect their value big time. No. Uh, it, it, and if you're in Canada and you're outsourcing, you're probably doing it, doing a mistake because there are so many programs to finance your development team uh, at the federal level and provincial level. Uh, but you can help with that. If the idea is good enough, you can help with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll help with that. So a number of engineers is pretty important. Then third elements that will uh, value your company is your intellectual property. So do you have patents? Or what is the level of uniqueness of what you're trying to build? Mm -hmm. People sometimes are telling me, you know, patents are, are worthless. Well, patents are worthless. If I'm investing in technology, you have to prove to me that the technology is unique. So mm-hmm. if you're filing a patent, it's a way to prove that that technology is unique. But it's and so it's hard a, to it's so hard to patent, right? Like no. there's so many variables, no? no. Like a somebody's patent. always had some idea, some component no. of it, no? No. A patent is so simple. To patent something, you need four things. Okay. First, it doesn't exist. Okay? Uh, the same thing what you're telling me it's raising an eyebrow because if someone is not able to patent it probably means that they're an infringement of someone else's patent and if they're an infringement without knowing of someone else's patent well then it's creating risk on my investment so mm. uh, if you're not patenting something at least you're going to need to do an fto which is a freedom to operate to prove that you're not infringing on a patent it can kill the startup really rapidly if you're infringing on someone's patent as mm-hmm. soon as you're going to get some traction you're going to get law uh, some lawsuits and you can kill your investment so patent four things doesn't it but like for for example with patent like if you for example there's a startup um you know like recently uh, a company came out when this um privacy issue came out with whatsapp uh, signal um signal app 
you know, they're a messaging app. They message just like WhatsApp. They do a lot of things like WhatsApp. How would, for example, how would Signal patent something when it's been being used by multiple platforms, the same concept? So you never patent your entire company. You patent piece of your oh, technology. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Now I understand. Oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. You, you should critical. have. Yeah. Should have. You should have multiple. <laughs> yes, patterns, you should have multiple. Yes. If you're, so you, if you're doing something unique and you're starting something yeah. big, you should be able to outline how many uniquenesses you have. So in terms of signal, you know, their encryption protocol. Yes, now I know. something yeah. that they patent. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way that the information flow between their privacy, servers yeah. or privacy mm-hmm. is something that they probably could patent. So uh, you will patent some specific part of your platform you never patent the entire concept got it now actually to patent something first it doesn't exist second it's always an input information automated treatment and automated output so it's an encryption you have input information automated encryption automated output of the encryption uh-huh. And then you patent the way you do it. So it's, I understand a the process. Always, a patent is always a process. Actually, if you read patent, usually it's called method and process. So mm-hmm. you never patent code. You always patent a method the and process. Method. I got it. Okay. Method and process. Mm-hmm. And uh, the best way to patent is to do a PCT patent, which exists now. Uh, PCT patent is provisionary patent that will protect you all over the world for 30 months. And it's much cheaper than to patent per specific region. You can do it for between fifteen and eighteen thousand dollars. You will have a patent that will protect you for thirty to thirty-six months, which is good enough to protect you while you're raising money and while you're growing. So you don't have to incur additional costs, and you will have some level of protection on your intellectual property. Mm-hmm. Um, then the fourth element is your uh, KPIs, so your key performance indicators, which mm-hmm. are going to be sales, users, uh, recurring revenues, uh, number of strategic like partnerships. Like it could be even a proven concept, like actually proving the concept somewhere with that data. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But people tend to think that the value of the company is only within the KPIs, and that's the biggest mistake. Mm-hmm. People will so many try variables. to... Yeah, people will try to get too many users, generate too much sales too early, and then neglect some other KPIs, which is engagement level, uh, managing your conversion cost. And they're also neglecting their governance or uh, their management team. So, um, yeah, so we will work. And the way to grow that company and the startup too, is to work on those four pillars. So build an action plan, look at those four pillars, and what can I do in those four areas to grow the value of those four areas? So don't only work on KPIs, Mm. but work on those four pillars at the same time. That's what will get you the most value the most rapidly. Like when you you see companies that raise like $3 million at 15 million valuation, and they're barely in the market, and you wonder mm. why, it's because mm-hmm. that $15 million was not achieved on KPIs. It was achieved with patents, development team, and replacement value. Mm-hmm. And uh, what would be the difference between the incubation um, process and your process? Yeah, for uh, sure. Incubators are great at a fairly early stage. Usually, okay. you know, you get into an incubator where you're at 
a pre-commercialization stage. So you have an idea, you need to prove that that the idea is valid. Uh, you need to build your first business plan. You're trying to figure out how financing works. It's earlier than where mm -hmm. we sit, you know. Uh, I'm the good stop after the incubator uh, because an incubator will work usually on a six to four six weeks to four months period. It's a fairly formatted, uh, you know. It's it's, mm -hmm. it's usually very formatted. Yeah. Uh, replicated, re replicated, right? Kind yeah. Of, yeah. I don't work on a format. We take a business, mm -hmm. we build an action plan. Uh, we it's the doing. Yeah, it's the it, doing part. <laughs> and there's a doing. You know, yeah. I will put uh, in-house. I have lawyers, I have accountant, I have product manager, I have commercialization specialist. So we'll put those people to help boost it, which an incubator doesn't have. No. Excellent. Yeah. This is really exciting stuff. Like this is how do you, but the, the transformation, how many years did it take you to try to get into this business? Like it just happened as you were progressing in a couple of years on a project or? To, to be honest, I, I made a mistake uh, six, seven years ago when I went into the startup business. Uh, you know, we, we always tell the good side of the story, which, you know, Pathway Bugs did amazing. And yeah. I did a huge mistake at the beginning of my career uh, because I was on a monthly retainer with with startups, and it's a bad way to help startups to be to be yeah. on a monthly retainer. They're the most expensive employees in the business. Mm. They want you to do everything in the first three months. You don't have all the competence to do everything they need. It's a bad way to approach. Never hire a consultant on an hourly rate or a retainer, yeah. right? It's, it's, it's a bad approach. Mm -hmm. uh, you want to align your objective and you want people that will help you that have multiple skill sets yes. available to. So that's why I, I, I migrated from, you know, being a one consultant, one startup at a time toward like that approach with, with people that have way more experience and way more skills than me in some specific areas. And the yeah, and aligning a mandate and 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 the support, not an, on an hourly base uh, rate, uh, but really uh, align on on objectives and achieving those objectives. But uh, that took me like two three years to understand that I had the wrong model. <laughs> mm, yeah, no this this model is fan, uh, fantastic for a startup because they're getting everything in one they don't have to worry about anything they can just concentrate on what they're launching but you come in with the expertise that you actually go out and found you actually in the industry that you do on a daily basis you know how to cover all angles for a start yeah. there's a there's one thing that i never do I, like i don't code like nobody sorry to, i don't code like we don't code? We don't code like oh yeah yeah of course yes I, yes you you know because that will mean that I will also build your product. So no, 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 no. Building, I'm, I'm saying is obviously the startup, but yeah. everything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, and uh, you know, there's a huge difference between a seasoned uh, marketer and and a junior marketer, especially in in the digital world. So uh, it's also often hard for startups to convince a seasoned uh, one experienced marketer to join a startups because they see it as a huge risk. So first year, first year, uh, uh, and agencies or they don't, 
understand the operation uh, of the startups. So yeah, that's. so if you if you don't work um, on retainer, like what is your model now? Like say for example, mm-hmm. someone's listening, and they're working, you know, in a job, whatever, and they have a phenomenal idea, and they've been working on it on the side, developing it. Um, what can they expect if they get in touch with you? Um, yeah, first so, of all, we have we're gonna sit down and understand their needs and their objectives. Then we're gonna build an action plan and a roadmap. Mm-hmm. Then they're gonna decide what they can is there cost is there cost at that point if, okay. if, if we're at that stage there's no cost we, okay. we're just like aligning our vision so uh oh so not, contact sorry i might say no yes yes that. yeah okay okay so can you just go step by step so yeah. people can really really understand like yeah. when they contact you what happens any payment no payment what happens no, like no yeah payment. Uh, when they contact us, there's no payment. We we sit down and we look at their business. Uh, just like an investor would look at their business. Or a bank. Mm-hmm. A bank. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, not a bank, but more like an investor. Do I see potential? Mm-hmm. Do I not see potential? Do I like you? Then if we, if, I, if we like you, then we look at, okay, do we agree on what needs to be accomplished? So let's build an action plan for the next three, four, six, 12 months, mm-hmm. uh, what needs to be accomplished to meet those objectives. Mm-hmm. And then let's decide what you do as a startup and what I do as support. Got it. So once we agree on what you want me to do and what you're going to be doing, then we set you know, what the terms of that agreement will be. So we work on multiple levels. We work on some clients, don't want to give me equity. Some clients just want to pay. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> so yeah. some people just want to pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, we work. On you have options. Pay plus equity. Yeah. You have options yeah. like paper equity, equity. Like you have different selections but, depending but on the product. No, I like to be re- rewarded at the end, though. So of course, we, of course. We like, take, we, we like to do it at least part on equity. Um, yeah, and but That's you know, good. it's. Uh, Usually Simple. if we're at that stage, we always find equipment. And, and there's a lot of programs that exist to finance uh, help uh, like me. So uh, we will help finding the right program. More and more, yeah. Uh, you know, there's over a thousand uh, provincial and federal governmental programs in the market mm-hmm. right now. And mm-hmm. uh, it's a good timing. If you have a good product, it's not hard to raise money. That's awesome. Yeah. That's good to know. Because a lot of people are afraid, you know, when they think about this is where are we going to get the money? How are we going to do this? They start um, getting very overwhelmed with the how, right? And then they stop in the footsteps. Yeah. But this, hopefully this episode can provide them value and say that, hey, you know what? Let me just try. Let me go out. Let me just, you know, there's money available. There people need these changes in the in the market, right? You know, the first 300000 or $500,000 is the hardest one to get. Mm. Uh, because usually, you're usually really early. You're, you're pre-commercialization. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people are investing in, in fight. Uh, it's so, harder, yeah. yeah. So, yes, the first money is hard to get. So you need. But if you're not able to get it, I'm going to also question what are your sales skill sets. 
you know, you you have to be convincing enough to yes. convince people that it's worth investing a, a few dollars. But, I understand, uh, yeah. But the first $300,000 is the hardest one to get. And the uh, more you're going to get in, the easier it's going to be to raise money. You know, I, I, I listen to you and I'm concentrating, but at, at some points, that thing that you said to me about the, the, the fart and the, the, that joke, like that keeps coming in my memory and I start laughing inside. <laughs> so I can't stop thinking about it. <laughs> that was hilarious. But, but um, is there any other recommendation or anything that you want to give anyone listening uh, before we go? Yeah, it's uh, don't try to address too many problems at the same time. Uh, I keep saying one problem, one solution, one app or one company. Wow, so that's good. Keep it simple. Uh, you know, if you cannot explain it to a five years old, what you're trying to resolve and they don't understand it, usually it's because you're not trying to resolve the right thing mm. uh, or it's too complex and it's going to be hard hard to market it also mm, yes um, second thing raising money is not the end goal making no. money is yes the end goal. of course yes and Very raising good point. money is a step toward making money mm -hmm. so very important that you know when you're raising money you have to know when your break-even point is going to be you have to have good forecast you have to be able to give the visibility of what you're going to do with that money and where it's going to get you. People like me invest in people, but banks and venture caps invest mm. in financial, uh, of course. financial forecasts. Mm. Um, so they're going to want to see your return and they're going to want to see a clear action plan of what you're going to do with that mm -hmm. money. Value your company on existing assets not promises. Mm -hmm. I hate to value company on on uh, an approach like discounted cash flow, because if you value your company on discounted cash flow, you're valuing your company on future promises. So on mm -hmm. promise you're got, you're making of potential revenues, and not on existing assets. If you're mm -hmm. doing that, then you're putting a rope under around your neck, because as soon as you don't hit those targets, you're going to find yourself in a difficult position with mm, your investors. Of course. So of course. do it. Raise money on what you have, what is there today, and mm. sell that as a value mm. and the foundation. Okay. I understand. Less stress. Way less stress. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, um, a bad investor is a potential future nightmare. Yeah. Uh, so if you're overselling and not setting the right expectation very true. Uh, you're pushing in time huge problems uh, mm. and i've seen it often that the entrepreneur just lose control of their company quite rapidly mm. because they overpromise. yeah well it's been Amazing, ds da but dominic sounds so cool but uh <laughs> but um yeah both are good. but you know i want to thank you for being on the show like um what you're doing is actually providing 
a tremendous amount of value to people as, um, in that phase. Um, there's so many amazing ideas people have in their mind and they're thinking and they're spending years and months on just in their mind. Um, and we're hoping that your message, this is going to get to people and say, wake them up because we need more entrepreneurs. We need more economy. We need more people coming out with businesses, you know? So I, I'm really thankful and grateful that you came on the show. And, and don't forget, like, no, if you don't take any action, you will never get any results. Yeah, so. that's just, that's how it is. Yeah. But uh, thank you so much again. And um uh, please keep in touch in your show notes. Like always, we always promote your stuff as well on our network. And then we send you all the assets and you can uh, use that material as well for yourself. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. 